Prophet Nehemiah has it exactly right. Joy is our strength. It is joy that gives us the ability to stick it out when the going gets tough. I think it's the joy of motherhood that enables women to endure the pain of childbirth. I think if you talk to anybody who has lasted 10, 20, 30 years in the same job, ask them why they've been able to stay there at some level, they're going to tell you it's because they've found a certain amount of joy in their work. I think, talk to any of our musicians on the stage, they would tell you certainly that in the early years of learning to play a musical instrument, maybe in those first few months especially, there is a strength of will that it takes for them, and if they were young, for their parents, for them to stick to it. But over the long haul, I think it's the joy of playing a beautiful piece of music that keeps people at it when it comes to playing an instrument. There's joy in the mastery. It's also true in our Christian walk. It is joy that sustains our journey. It is joy that makes us strong. And it isn't just catastrophe that can be a killjoy. The burdens, the demands, the obligations of everyday life can stifle our joy. But here's the good news. Our focus, our attitude, even the way we think about and make choices in our everyday life have more to do with our level of joy than do our circumstances. Maybe that's why some of the most joyful people that I've ever met lived in the poverty-stricken barrios in the Dominican Republic. Some of the most joy-filled people I've ever known were living out their last days and months of life as they suffered with a catastrophic illness. Each one of those people had made a conscious decision. They had chosen a different focal point in their life. No matter what was going on in their life, they knew and they had chosen to focus on the beauty that was around them in spite of their circumstances. But it takes an act of the will. It takes an act of the will to see those things when the darkness is closing in around us. Sometimes we have to choose to poke holes in the darkness until the light bleeds through. All right, if that didn't wake you up, I don't stand a chance. Uh, We are in the third message in this four-part series, Fight Back with Joy. And in this series, we're dealing with two realities in our life that come crashing into each other, often if not every day. The first is a reality that Jesus told us, that tough stuff in our life is never going to go away. doesn't matter how spiritual we think we are or we become. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Not a trick question, it should be on the screen behind me. In this world, you will have (laughs) trouble, right? The second reality is another promise that Jesus made to us. He said, 
These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Two promises, two truths. Yet our experience in these two things tells us that in life, those two things have a lot of trouble inhabiting the same space. So this morning, I'm going to try to address two very practical things, two biblical ideas that are very, very practical that help us increase the amount of joy that's in our lives. So I'm going to give you a warning that comes with those two things. Some people say all of my messages should have a warning with them, but I'm just going to do it with this one. Because if you don't have much joy in your life right now, if you're struggling to have joy, when I say these things, you might want to push back, or they might seem counterintuitive, but just hang with me, all right? Because I think they're doable, and I think they'll help you. All right, so you'll hang with me, right? Is that a deal? That was really not convincing, but I'm going to go ahead anyway. Um, I'm just bullheaded that way. So here's the first one. The first way to poke holes in the darkness is to find something to celebrate even if you don't feel like celebrating. Maybe that should say, maybe especially if you don't feel like celebrating. For a lot of us, celebrating is a lost art. Harvey Cox is a renowned theologian from Harvard Divinity School, and he said this, People today have been pressed so hard toward useful work and rational calculation that we have all but forgotten the joy of ecstatic celebrations. Does that ring true in your life? Does that feel like maybe he's describing you? Don't nudge them. Maybe does it describe the person you're sitting beside? It could be. I mean, I watched you all during that last song. Some of you didn't even smile. I mean, that song begged you to get up and celebrate. It gave you permission. How many churches do you think you could have been in this morning that would have sang a song that asked you to get up and shake your booty? You had, yeah, now you do it, okay? But you had permission to get up and shake your booty in church and nobody did it. Don't do it now. It's inappropriate now. I'm the only one who can do that now, and I just have no rhythm, so it'd be ugly. But we just have forgotten how to celebrate, and a lot of people get surprised when they open the Bible and they begin to read, and they discover that not only does God encourage celebration, He commands it. You read through the Old Testament, and there are celebrations commanded everywhere. So from Passover to Yom Kippur to Pentecost, God created space in the calendar year for seven big national festivals and celebrations. Two of them lasted an entire week. That didn't also allow for the fact that every Sabbath was a full day of worship and celebration of God's goodness. The first day of every month with the new moon was a day of worship and celebration. Every 49th year was the year of Jubilee. Have you heard about this? So in the Jewish calendar, every 49th year was the year of Jubilee. Nobody punched a time clock for a full year. Now you're interested. (laughs) Oh, it gets better. Well, hang in there. It gets better. Every debt was canceled. 
Yeah, so you're 48, you run up your MasterCard, your Visa, your American Express, get all the stuff you want, 49th year, all debts are canceled. All slaves are set free. All of these celebrations weren't optional. They were a commandment from God. So to not party, not celebrate, not participate was a sin. That's my kind of party, right? You don't join in. It's a sin. And so when the average Jewish person took out their first-generation iPhone, I think they called it an iStone. Um, I think we ought to post that on Facebook so you can use that. I mean, really. Some of you may be the only thing you get this morning. Um, and they plugged in the dates. What emerged was this healthy rhythm of celebrating. It didn't add in, even, the stuff that went on in families, the stuff that was worthy of celebrating, just even in your own family. This was just the national stuff. This was just the stuff that God said, you're going to celebrate. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how hard it gets, this stuff is automatically in your calendar. I'm commanding you, you have to celebrate. Why? It wasn't just about having a party. It was there so that on a consistent basis, at least every week, every month, seven times a year, we'd stop. We'd remember. We'd gather together as a community and we'd know God is good. In spite of how things look, God is good. He provides. He loves us. He cares for us. It gives us a sense of perspective, regardless of our circumstances, sometimes in spite of. Let me tell you about my favorite celebration in the Old Testament. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 14. The Jewish people were largely farmers, right? So they raised crops, or they raised livestock, or they did both. And so every year at the harvest time, they gathered everything in, and God said, when that happens in the harvest time, I want you to take 10% of what I've given you And go to the place where you worship and give that as an offering. As both an act of gratitude and an act of trust that I'm going to provide for your needs through the other 90%. I love that. So whatever you've raised, whether it's wheat or barley, whether it's sheep or goats or cattle, 10% of it, you're going to give that. But here's the cool part of it. You didn't bring it to the place you worship, and then the place of worship puts that aside to run the place of worship. That was not the deal. That 10% was used for a massive party, a celebration. So here's what happened. You come together at the fall harvest, we have this massive pitch-in dinner. But God gave a plan B as well. So you've had a really great year. And you've got like this literal ton, 2,000 pounds of wheat that you've got to transport. And it's too far to take it to the place of worship. Or you had a lot of, you had a prolific herd of sheep, right? So you had 100 new lambs born. Or 1,000 new lambs born, let's say. You've got to take 100 of them to the place of worship. You have no way to take them. So God said, if that's true, then what you do is you sell them. You take all that money, put it in a bag, and you take all of that over to the place of worship, to that town, and here's what I'll let you do. When you arrive to that town, you take that money and you buy any kind of food you want. 
cattle, sheep, goats, wine, or other alcoholic drink. You didn't expect that in church this morning, did you? That's two things you've been surprised by. Then feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and celebrate with your household. That's awesome. Now, I, I just for personal reasons, include the next verse this morning. God goes on and says, And don't neglect the Levites in your town, for they receive no allotment of land among you. What he's basically saying is, don't forget to invite your pastor to the party. Because <laughs> in that situation, the religious leaders didn't get land, so they couldn't raise crops, they couldn't raise livestock. And, you know, people probably thought this is a huge party, and the pastor's just going to be a drag at the party. And God says, don't forget to invite your pastor. So you all clear on that when you throw your parties, don't forget to invite your pastors. I'm probably hitting that too hard, aren't I? Uh, So anyway, it's all just amazing, this whole culture of party. And once a year, there's this massive party. Think of what that would look like if we did that at Westridge. 10% of everybody's income, we just give and we throw a party. Probably be pretty fun. When we start talking about that much celebration, that much reveling in God's goodness, In a room this size, there's a couple of reactions that people start to have. For some of you, you just feel liberated, validated. You have this sense inside of you of just always wanting to celebrate with people. It comes naturally to you. And to hear that God prescribes that is amazing. You've already got several parties planned in your head just while I'm talking about it. I don't need to say a whole lot to you. There are others of us that all this talk seems a bit excessive. With our busy lives, that much celebrating and revelry seems, well... Just lazy and irresponsible. If there's any hint of that in you this morning, as we read that passage, there's a good possibility that you're one of those people that needs to celebrate more. Maybe the best use of the rest of this time this morning is just to start making a list of people you could invite over to just celebrate something. Maybe celebrate the fact that you're finally doing a celebration in your life. And before we ever get too critical of these celebrations, remember that when Jesus was here on earth, he participated in all of these celebrations. In fact, his first miracle took place at a wedding celebration where he made some of the best wine that they served at the party. He celebrated. A lot of his teachings, a lot of his miracles, took place around these national feasts and celebrations. So much of his teaching and miracles took place in those settings where people were gathered that his detractors falsely accused him of being a drunk and a glutton. I'll admit that celebrating when the world's closing in on you can be really, really hard. 
So I'll say it this way again. Celebration at times is an act of sheer willpower. But God knows that it is the perfect prescription for us to restore our joy and our strength. And it doesn't have to be a huge celebration with lots of people. Sometimes it can be a very personal and private thing. Some of you know my dad's story. You've heard me talk about him. Uh, My dad's health has not been stellar over the last 20 years. He's had six heart attacks. He's had a stroke. The result of all of that has left him, for the most part, Um, without any feeling on the left side of his body. And it gives him some balance issues. He walks with a cane, and most days for him, getting from point A to point B, he walks with a pretty profound limp, and just that movement from one place to another is awkward um, and not real pretty. So you kind of get the idea. Uh, But he's a tough old bird, and he's a survivor. And nine months after my mother passed away, Uh, I helped him fulfill a dream that he'd had for a lot of years. He had a dream of riding a motorcycle again. And so we did that as an act of defiant celebration. Knowing a little bit of his medical history, you get the defiant part in this. So I spent a good three months finding the motorcycle and customizing it and getting it to the place where it was uh, as safe as it could be uh, for him to ride a three-wheeled motorcycle. And as the circumstances turned out, we finally got it to its safest condition for him to ride on uh, what turned out to be the weekend of the anniversary of my mom's first, the first anniversary of my mom's death. Uh, Here's a picture of my dad on that bike. Uh, he, He looks a little awkward, but... He was happy. Riding that bike brought both of us joy, restored joy, and was an act of celebration at a time when neither one of us felt a whole lot like celebrating. And it still brings him joy. He, <laughs> he rides that bike and does his errands sometimes. Uh, he'll go to have a meal or he'll go to the grocery store. And it's he gets a little bit of sadistic joy out of it because he'll come hobbling, walking really rough out of the grocery... That's appropriate. Um, Walking out of the grocery store with his cane, and he, I think, my opinion is, he tries to draw attention as he hobbles over to his motorcycle parked in a handicapped spot, (laughs) puts his cane in his own version of a cane holder on the bike, straps it in, swings his leg over the seat, sits down, fires up the bike, and roars out of the parking lot. And people go, what in the world? And there is a tremendous amount of joy in his heart and mine as he tells me about the story. Celebration, at times, comes down to a defiant act of our will. And it has huge benefits. 
I think that's why God commands it. Celebration is an antidote for the sadness that sometimes hits us all. It restores our perspective in life. It keeps us from taking ourselves too seriously. It helps us laugh at ourselves. And maybe the best benefit of all is that celebration leads to more celebration and helps us poke even more holes in the darkness. The second practice that helps us poke holes in the darkness is for us to give away what we don't have. I'm going to read a passage, uh, and then I'll talk about it a little bit, which will help make the passage a little clearer eventually. Jesus said, don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured out to you. Regardless of what you've heard about this passage before, my personal conviction is that this passage, Jesus was talking about relational dynamics. The picture he paints here is quite vivid. Our words, our actions, are less like an arrow and more like a boomerang. We fire words out at people, and they come back at us stronger. When we give judgment, we get judged more harshly. When we condemn people, we get condemned more harshly. Conversely, when we forgive, we get forgiven. We extend grace and compassion, they ricochet back to us. The giver of these things of grace, compassion, forgiveness, ends up wallowing in the richness of a life marked by generosity. I think that was Jesus' point in this passage. And so when we find ourselves at a place in life where we are flat broke in mind, in body, and in spirit, the last thing that we want to do is give away joy. We search for an exemption clause. And yet one of the best ways, I think Jesus is saying, one of the best ways to receive joy is to begin to give joy. One of the best ways to lift up our spirits is to try to lift up someone else's. And my guess is, as I'm saying this, you're already thinking of examples in your own life or in the life of someone you know. No matter what adversity we're facing in life, if we can turn our eyes away from what's in front of us, find a new focus, God will fill us with joy. There's a lot I can say. I could teach about this passage, but I think the best teaching I found this week is in the example of a little six-year-old boy named Jordan Hayes. And I'd love you to just watch this video and hear his story. It is every kid's worst nightmare, and six-year-old Jaden Hayes has lived it. (coughs) Twice. First, he lost his dad when he was four. Then last month, his mom died unexpectedly in her sleep. I tried and I tried and I tried to get her away couldn't Jaden is understandably heartbroken anybody can die that's anybody but there's another side to his grief a side he first made public a few weeks ago when he told his aunt and now guardian Barbara DeCola that he was sick and tired of seeing everyone sad all the time and he had a plan to fix it and that was the beginning of it that's where the adventure began (laughs) 
Jaden asked his Aunt Barbara to buy a bunch of little toys and bring them here to downtown Savannah, Georgia, near where he lives. Thank you, sweetie. So he could then... You want me to have it? ...give them away. Thank you, man. What is it you're doing? Well, I'm trying to make people smile. Rubber duckies, dinosaurs. Because those are the things that make people smile. Yeah. And what happens to their face? Really? Really. See that man right there? Jaden targets people who aren't already smiling and then turns their day around. You made me smile. He's gone out on four different occasions now, and he's always successful. It's to make you smile. Even if sometimes he doesn't get exactly the reaction he was hoping for. It is just so overwhelming to some people that a six-year-old orphan would give away a toy expecting nothing in return except a smile. Of course, he is paid handsomely in hugs. And his aunt says these reactions have done wonders for Jaden. It's like sheer joy came out of this child. And the more people that he made smile, the more this light shone. Jaden says that's mostly true. But I'm still sad that my mom died. I bet you are. This is by no means a fix. But in the smiles he's made so far, nearly 500 at last count, Jaden has clearly found a purpose. I'm counting on it to be 33,000. 33,000? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big goal. Mm-hmm. You think you can make that goal? Uh-huh. I think I can. I think he just did. <laughs> I'm not a linguistics expert, but I think he's from New Jersey. I think what Jaden is teaching us is an amazing lesson, that joy is the best gift we can offer even when we don't possess it ourselves. And it does something incredible inside of us when we begin to give it away. Yes, it's hard to throw confetti in the midst of a crisis. It's tough to play a kazoo when you're discontent, but it's worth a try. So I have an assignment for you this week. I want you to poke some holes in the darkness in your life or in the life of people around you. Start a conga line when you hear the music, even if it's in the middle of Starbucks. Post the picture on Facebook. Learn to laugh when you'd rather lie on the floor and weep. Cook a feast, even if the circumstances in your life have stolen your taste buds. And when the feast is ready, invite 12 of your best friends over to share the meal with you. Slip that surly store clerk a note of encouragement. Offer a compliment to a friend who's always down on herself. Flash a smile to a stranger who seems to be having a tough day. Or maybe, maybe your assignment is as simple as this. Try to have a cheery disposition, a positive outlook, a resilient attitude, a lightheartedness about you for one day in the middle of the difficult circumstance that you have in your life right now. Those simple choices will anchor in our souls the truth that Nehemiah wrote. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Simple celebrations, giving away joy, can reawaken our hearts to God. They can renew our joy, help us regain our strength. They can expand our capacity 
to hear and obey and love God. And they'll remind us to search for God in every situation and declare his goodness, even in our darkest days.